The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. Well, good morning, and that is well-deserved. If you have or have not, if you've got little kids, you've probably seen Encanto, which is what that song comes from. I've seen it 395 times. Um, That was Gabby Brolsma. She is uh, a senior at Noblesville High School. She is our intern in student ministry. Hold hold your class for a second. Let me give you a rundown who she is. Uh, Right? I had this all prepared, and you're all jumping the gun. You're excited. Right? All right. She uh, is in the show choir. She's had a solo in that show choir this year, which is a huge deal. Um, she's won uh, Best Performer twice, excuse me, Best Soloist twice, and uh, Best Performer in one of those, and you can see why. So go ahead and give a round of applause again. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So I love the line, okay? The, the movie is, is this. There's a family that lives in the, in the hills of Colombia uh, in a village called the Encanto in this sweet little house. And uh, in the midst of that, the Encanto, there is some, some kind of magic about that village that gives every kid a, a gift, except for Maribel, which is the main character in the movie. Uh, she was not given a gift in her childhood, but all uh, the, the, the sisters, brothers, cousins, they all have a gift. And, and the one line in there that sticks out to me, and I'm going to read it because I don't memorize it like her. Uh, I am ready. Come on, I'm ready. I've been patient and steadfast and steady. Bless me now as you blessed us all those years ago when you gave us a miracle. Am I too late for a miracle? And those lyrics kind of hit home this past week because there's a situation in my life where I need a miracle. And the question, I guess, that I started to think through as I prepared to stand up here is, do I and am I asking God for a miracle? Or I'm asking him for things that I think he could answer in my mind, right? Am I really, truly asking God for a miracle? Let me stop. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for Gabby. Thanks for the gift that you've given her in that voice. This morning, as we look at this passage and as we hear stories, we pray that you would strengthen our belief in miracles. I pray that you would give us hope. This morning, we love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. If I'm going to be honest this morning, I think we've all probably been there. We've all been in a situation where we needed a miracle. We needed something, I don't know if it was a family illness, uh, a situation uh, in a relationship, uh, or you just need a miracle in order to believe, but we've all been there. And so this is the question that I wanted to ask you is the same question I asked myself, do we pray for miracles? It's easy to say yes, right? We all believe in Jesus, uh, we all follow him, and yet at the same time, do you, when was the last time that you prayed specifically for a miracle? When was the last time that you thanked God for answering one of your prayers with a miracle? When was the last time you saw a miracle? You see, this is the tension for me. I wonder sometimes, and this is me included, if a miracle took place, would I even recognize it? If it happened right before my very eyes, would I even be willing to be bold enough to claim that it was a miracle? Or would I 
like I think we're often tempted to do, is to explain it in human terms. Well, you know, this happened and it's just kind of a coincidence. Or this took place, but, but maybe just the doctors got it wrong the first time. You see, I think that's the tension for us. Is it, if it happened right before your very eyes, would you claim it and be bold enough to say, a miracle took place in my life or a miracle took place in my situation? Or would you, like me, be tempted to maybe explain that away? If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to open up to John chapter 5. You're going to hear two stories this morning, one from Scripture and one from a member of this church. And my prayer is that neither one of them would you look at and say, well, you could explain that in human terms. Because both of them, in my mind this morning, are miracles. This is what I want you to walk away with this morning, okay? Because we're going to kind of unpack this as we look at this passage. Sometimes, sometimes, the miracle is hope and not healing. Sometimes, the miracle for you and I is hope and not healing. I'm going to get to that, but uh, as we turn to John chapter 5, we're going to be right there in verse 1. And uh, this is, we're not going to look at this part today, but this is something I want you to know. This is the first miracle of Jesus where he is met with angry disbelief, right? This is the first time where there's a miracle that's done and there, there's frustration and anger towards him. This begins that road of tension for him until he reaches the cross. And so you need to know that to this point, uh, the miracles have been happening and everything has been fine. Nobody has necessarily met that with anger. This one it's met with anger. And again, like I said, we're not going to unpack that, although that's another sermon for another time, and it's a good point for you to go back and study maybe this week. Uh, but what we're going to look at is what took place in just the first few verses of chapter 5. It says this. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people... Uh, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? Sir, I can't, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets in there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. We're going to stop there. We're going to stop right there. This story, the context is, is fairly simple. Jesus has returned to Jerusalem. He is walking through, and as he decides to go through, he passes through the pools of Bethesda, which are kind of on um, the outskirts of town. And as he does that, he chooses to walk straight through the pools, which is important for us to know because, uh, because of our story this morning. You see, in, in, in Scripture, as you're looking at this, if you read, I don't know about you, but, but uh, I do know how to count to five. Um, and as you count there, you have verse one in chapter five, two, three, and then as my Bible says, five. Right? Why, why is that? Well, what happened over verse four? Did, did somebody do something? What happened? Where'd it go? Right? 
But that's the question I ask is why do we not have verse four in here? And now I want you to hear this straight up on front in the front, okay? Like this verse, latter part of verse three and verse four is disputed as to whether it was in original manuscripts. Now, I don't want this to cause you this big stress and pain the rest of the day. Most of scripture, almost all of scripture is now disputed, okay? <laughs> this one verse is, and I'm gonna try to help you understand why, okay? But we need to understand this. What is happening around this pool? Why, why if there's sick people, right? And there, there's five covered porches and a wise mentor of mine for East Tennessee that never do math from stage, but I'm gonna simplify it. And if I get it wrong, then he was right, okay? And so if there's five covered porches and lots of sick people, let's just say there's five under each, five times five is 25. Yes, I got it. Five times five is 25, right? There's at least 25 sick people. Now, let me tell you this. I believe that there's a whole lot more than that. Because crowds to me is not 25 people. Crowds to me is like what I'm sitting here looking at right now. And so there's at least 25 people, if not more sick people. And understand this, in our Bible it says sick people in the NLT. And I tell you this because we need to understand the picture. Um, other versions would say disabled. And what I mean by that is that they physically cannot get themselves from one point to the next. And that's, we have to understand that. This is not just like I have a cough so I'm sitting by the pool. This is I can't move my own body. I'm sitting by the pool. I can't find my way around because I don't have eyesight kind of people. I think of it as I think of Haiti. I got the chance a few years ago to go with a team um, to Haiti to work with special needs children in Haiti. Now what you need to understand about Haiti and special needs children in Haiti is this. They can't fix anything. Right, club feet, they don't have surgery like we do. They don't have resources like we do. And so if your legs weren't straight, that's the way your legs were the rest of your life. So special needs down there is not just this level of cognitive special need, but it is very visible and physical. And so when we got there, um, some of you know who Tammy Calstead is, but Tammy looked at me and said, um, I need you to go downstairs and walk through the facility. I'm like, why, Tammy? I'm fine. She's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, no, I am. She's like, no, trust me, you're not. Please go down there. I need you to lead. And so I need you to go down there and walk through it before we take the rest of the team through. And so I went down there and I walked through 20 to 25 children laying on mats that were physically deformed to the point that I was so uncomfortable. It was so absolutely overwhelming. These children are moved everywhere by somebody else. None of them in that certain hallway could move themselves. Now there was a group of them that could and they would crawl wherever they needed to go. But it was so overwhelming. I can remember coming back upstairs in tears and looking at Tammy and saying, I'm not ready for that. And she's like, okay, you got 30 minutes. I need you to figure out how to get ready because we're going to take the team down in 30 minutes. And I'm like, like, you know Tammy, right? She's like, just pull it together. I'm like, I can't right now, right? Like, I don't know how to do that. I've never seen anything like that. 30 minutes later, we walked the team through. Exact same thing happened. By the end of the week, 
we're all good. But it's, I'm going to be honest with you, it took me probably two days to feel comfortable walking downstairs. And when Jesus walks into this pool, that is what he is seeing. People who have no ability to move themselves. No ability to help themselves. And so what you see here in verse, I'm going to read it because it's maybe in a footnote of yours. It's in mine, and I can see better than Fred can, so I'm going to read it to you. It says this. Okay, okay. Verse 3, where we stopped, is crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Footnote. Waiting for a certain moment of the water. For an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. Then he goes back to one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Now here's why that's disputed, okay? Here's why that's, because some would say it's not in the original manuscripts that we found of Scripture and of the New Testament. Some would say that that was put in later. I, I don't know the answer to that question. None of us are going to know the answer to that question. Here's what I, why I tell you that and why I want you to know that. Because somewhere, somehow, at one point, this pool, hot spring, whatever it might be, bubbled up, somebody got into it and came out healed. How do I know that? Because there's crowds of people gathered around the pool waiting for it to happen again. If, there were, if it had never happened before, there's no way that they would all gather themselves around a pool in hopes that something like that would happen again. And so I don't know how to explain it, but what I can tell you is that at some point something happened there that was miraculous. So much so that crowds of sick people would gather around the pool. And so they've gathered. And there's a man there that Jesus picks out of, I don't know how many people, but let's just continue with 25. And he looks at this man who has been crippled, paralyzed, not able to move himself for 38 years. People, I'm at 38 years old. For the duration of my life, this person has most likely sat next to this pool, hoping that somehow they would get themselves from here to there first. I don't know if you've ever heard of a hopeless scene, but in my mind, this is as hopeless as it probably gets. And Jesus walks up to that one man and says, ask one question. Would you like to get well? Yes, I would like to get well. That's why I'm here. That's why it's been 38 years. Yeah. Jesus, yes. That's the way I would have answered. That's not the way he answers. I can't, sir. I can't. For I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets in there ahead of me. As if you could not get any less hopeless, his answer takes you to the next level of hopelessness. I can't. I've lost all hope that I could. Because I have nobody who's willing to help me get into that water fast enough. And little does he know, right? You and I know. It's Jesus. He's standing before Jesus. Dude, you're, you're, it's Jesus. Like, you do you understand who you're talking to? He didn't. He didn't. I mean, Jesus walked into the pool through all these crowds of sick people, and nobody calls out to him. 
Nobody says, Jesus, come heal me, because they don't know who he is. The hope of the world is walking in between them, and they have no clue. Just think about that for a second. No, sir. I don't have anybody to put me in there when the water bubbles up. I can't, I can't do it. I can't get in there fast enough. And Jesus does not notice this because this is important. Jesus does not reprimand him. Jesus does not ask him another question. Jesus is not frustrated or upset with his hopelessness. Jesus just says, get up, pick up your mat, and go. And the man does. The man does. Okay, imagine the scene for a second. You're one of the other sick people that's sitting around this pool. And all of a sudden, somebody says, hey, I think one of us got healed just a minute ago, but the, the pool hasn't bubbled up. And you're like, nobody got sick. I look, everybody's like, whoa! He's been there for 38 years. He isn't there. What did you do? What did you, you do? Did somebody throw him in? Is he drowning? You know, like, what, where did he go? Think about being one of those people. There's one person who experienced a miracle that day. And the rest of them start to hear, somebody must have healed him. And listen, he didn't even know. Like he picks up his mat and he's like, you know, like, I'm out of here. And he runs into some officials and they're like, who healed you? And he's like, I don't know, but look at this. You know, like, that's what I'm at. That's what I've been doing. I've never been able to do that. You know, like, I don't know. Jesus finally comes to him and tells him, hey, it was me that healed you. Don't go tell anybody what to do. He goes and tells people, right? Like, good job, dude. I got legs. I was going to exercise, and then I ran into him, and so I told him about you. That's why they got angry, right? That's another sermon. Don't go there, Lance, right? But he gets healed. Now imagine this for just a second, okay? The hope, the miracle, the miracle that day. The miracle is for one man. At least the miracle of healing was for one man. But the miracle of hope was given to at least 25 people, 50, 100, 200, 300, I don't know. But can you imagine being at that pool and, and, and hearing the other miracles? This, this man, that man that healed our buddy, just fed 5,000 people with a Lunchable. And like, listen, that, that, that man that healed our buddy just raised some dude named Lazarus. He was dead, now he's alive. Like, that's even bigger than what he did to that guy. Can you imagine? Hey, they just, they just arrested that man. Why are they arresting that man? He, is, he helped our buddy. Maybe he could help us. Maybe he'll come back. Can you imagine? Because they are just in the shadow of where Jesus was crucified. They experienced the earthquake. They experienced the darkness at midday. Can you imagine how much hope they lost that he's not going to come back into the pool? But then three days later, can you imagine the miracle of hope when they're told he's alive? He is alive. I can imagine that the 24 people that were left at that pool that day knew, I don't know if I'm going to get healed on this place right here. I don't know if I'm ever going to be healed in this world but that man is alive and he's talking about, he was talking about heaven and, and new bodies and I, I'm all in. I have hope that maybe my healing won't happen in this lifetime, but my hope is that my healing will happen.
Can you imagine the miracle of hope? I want to share the miracle of hope with you. So Eric, I'm going to ask you to come on up. I'm going to invite one of my friends today. He attends White River. He and his wife is Eric Englert. They have a, a boy that's a freshman at Iwu, Indian Westland. His name's Cameron. They got a freshman boy at Noblesville High School, Bryce, who I get the pleasure of leading in a small group. And uh, his wife is uh, a saint. She co-leads uh, MOPS, and uh, she also co-leads a high school small group for us. And this guy's been involved in sports ministry. But you have a story to tell us, and uh, I'm just going to let you go. Going to let me go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me take you back to about one year ago, within two weeks here. We were driving on vacation down to Georgia, uh, my family and I, and we were, you know, getting ready to take some time off, you know, reflect on what God's done for us, enjoy some relaxation. And we got down there, and I think it was day number two that uh, I'm laying in the bed, face down, waiting for my wife to finish getting cleaned up in the shower, and my back locks up on me. I'd experienced little things here and there over the years with injuries and, and whatnot, playing sports, but never anything like this. And she came out. She helped me get to the floor flat uh, to try and get some relief. I laid there. With, I mean, it felt like an hour, but it was probably only 10 or 15 minutes. Got up, you know, went on with the rest of our vacation, did some hiking, kind of took it easy, really didn't think anything was, was, was really wrong. We got back home, and I had knee pain, and I really thought it had something to do with my injury, you know, 20 years ago when I blew my knee out. And I went to the doctor. They said, you know, we don't really see anything wrong with your knee. Let's go to physical therapy. So over several weeks of physical therapy, the, the physical therapist said, you know what, I think this is referred back pain. I think that you have a, a problem somewhere between L4 and L5 in your back. So I went to a, um, a pain specialist, and he did x-rays. He sent me for an MRI. He said, I think you have a bulging disc between L3 and L4. I went through probably another month or so. Things are not getting better. They sent me over to, um, I, it, it, was, it was like a nerve block is what they did. So if any ladies who have been pregnant who have had that nerve block before, it's, it's not fun. Um, not once, but twice in two months, I had a nerve block done, and things subsided for a couple days afterwards, but really didn't get any better. Speed forward to about August of last year, I made the decision I was going to have surgery. Surgery was going to happen around fall break, since we were home for two weeks, nowhere to go, COVID. And we all got sick with COVID. <laughs> Uh, whole family down for a couple weeks, called the doctor, said, hey, you know, this is what's going on. They tell us, hey, we can't get you in now until December 3rd. It's not what I wanted to hear. I did not want eight more weeks of living in agony. At this time, I'd been on pain pills multiple times a day. Uh, couldn't sit. I could stand or I could lay down. It just wasn't very fun. Then my son came home from college we went to a concert at the Caring House on November 6th. It was Pat Barrett, Phil Wickham, and Brandon Lake. And in the middle of the concert, Brandon Lake got down on his hands and knees, 
and he was praying. He was praying for everybody in that auditorium that night. And Phil Wickham sang a song, and after they got up, he said, it's okay to pray for yourself for a miracle. And they sang a song. It's called, Too Good Not to Believe. And it says, I've lived stories that have proved your faithfulness, and I've seen miracles my mind can't comprehend. There is beauty in what I can't understand. Jesus, it's you. Jesus, it's you. I believe you're the wonder-working God. All miracles I've seen, too good not to believe. During this time, I'm praying for myself. I don't normally pray for myself that way, praying for a miracle. And I had low-voltage energy flow through my body. I'm guessing it was seconds. It felt forever. (laughs) But didn't think anything of it. We had a wonderful time at the concert, lots of energy, lots of worship, raising hands, putting hands on people's shoulders, praying for other people. Get home, two or three days pass. I'm not taking any pain medication. I'm not hurt anymore. We're now less than a month away from surgery. And it's like, you know, I need to call the doctor. I need to tell the doctor that I'm no longer in pain. But how do you explain that to the doctor? How do you explain it to somebody who is involved in medicine that a miracle has happened? Mm. So out of faithfulness to my Lord and Savior, I canceled the surgery, and I've been pain-free ever since. Mm. Praise God. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Let me pray for you and just thank God for the miracle that is in you. Jesus, thanks for this man. Thanks for his testimony of what you have done for him. We're so thankful that you healed him and that he was willing to call it what it is. Help us, every one of us in this room, not to think that there's any way, humanly speaking, that that could change in just a moment. Help us to trust that you still do miracles. I'm thankful for Eric. Thanks for his testimony. Thanks for his time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, brother. I hope... You just heard about a miracle, and I hope that that brings you a miracle of hope. I don't know what the situation is in your world, and I don't know where you need a miracle to happen, but this question keeps running in my mind. It's written in my journal, and it's kind of haunting me right now. Will you be faithful if your miracle is hope and not healing? I told you about a situation this past weekend I was reminded of. Will I be faithful if my miracle is hope and not healing? Back to Encanto, that that movie ends, and I don't mean to ruin it for you, but I'm going to a little bit. Maribel, she never gets a gift. She never, they don't go back and give her a gift like all the other kids in childhood. What she realizes is, is that she is the gift to the family. Not having a gift is the opportunity to just to be present, to hold the family together. And in fact, what she gets at the end of it, and she, she sings that song, she never gets the miracle that she's asking for. What she gets is a miracle of hope because the rest of her family realizes that she doesn't need a gift to be special to them. That's... that's 
the answered miracle for her, just as she is. And so I wonder today if, and I want, listen, I want you to pray for a miracle. Don't hear me say that. I don't want you to pray for it. Well, the question is, will you continue to be faithful if all God gives you is hope? Will you continue to use that situation to, to influence other people and to help other people who are in the same situation, praying for the same thing you are and yet might not have hope? The one thing I still wonder is the man who was laying for 38 years, did he ever return to the pool to encourage the other people that were there? I want to believe that maybe he did. We don't know that. But the question is, will you be faithful? If your miracle is hope and not healing, let me pray for you. God, I pray for miracles in this room this morning. I pray that you would do things that we can't explain, things that there's no other explanation or way to think through it or reason through it other than you interceded and it was a miracle. I pray as well for those of us in here who will pray for a miracle and it won't happen the way we want it to happen. I pray that you would give them the miracle of hope, that although it might not take place here in our time on this earth, that we know we have the miracle of a hope when all things will be healed, all things will be renewed, and we'll be with you in heaven. I pray that you would allow us to walk out these doors praying boldly for miracles to take place, but being faithful with a miracle of hope that you give each and every one of us. We pray this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus. Amen.